0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to The Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're diving into 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to be checking out the vision that Paul had received from that place called the third heaven and talk about that a little bit. Look at the thorn in his flesh and the reality that in his weakness that Jesus would be sufficient for his every single need, the same as would be with us today. And a lot of other cool things that we can dig out of the Word of God today, so hang tight. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful for everything you have done for us this day. We thank you, Lord, for the beauty of it. We pray that you will guide us through and that you will help us, Lord, to be faithful in all that we say and do for thy kingdom's sake and for this day. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen. So as we begin reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, in verse number 1, the scripture goes on to say, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, the, the boasting that is being referred to in this particular position is not a boasting like bragging rights or of those things in nature. This boasting is uh, proclaiming the, the things of the Lord. It's the excitement that Paul has for the, the work that God is doing in the world around him as well as the realities of the hope that we have in that, that place called the Father's house that Jesus was talking to us about in John chapter number 14 as recognizing this position of third heaven, and we'll talk about that now. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Uh, very important to realize that that the account that Paul is about to give to us is an account that is recognized by a person much like, I don't know if you remember that Burpo child that, that had gone through the surgery with a ruptured appendix. I think it's called... Um, I don't remember the name of the the book that was produced or the movie that came out. Something about heaven, and and uh, well, anyway, this young man brings brings to light some things that there's no possible way he could understand, and 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 the he talks about his journey to heaven. Well, one thing that we do know is that the reception of the Book of Revelation that we have came from the Apostle John, who indeed was separated from his body, and that his spirit would be caught up into this position of the third heaven. And the whole book of Revelation after chapter number four is uh, penned ultimately from the journey that, that the Apostle John would make while he was in that throne room of God, which is the position of that third heaven. And, and so we know that there are people, indeed, who have gone there, who have been able, while still living on this earth, to be able to go into this position of the third heaven and come back. And so that it is exciting to think about, but that it has not been seen. Of course, there are several people. Uh, Jesse Duplantis, who, who I don't believe his story, of of going to heaven he's he's uh, basically made millions of dollars in trying to sell this idea but still he's one who said who has been there and there are several other people other books that have been written by a, a lot of different people who say that they've been there of course the only testimonies i truly believe As concerning having been there would be this reality that the Apostle Paul would give to me and what the Apostle John would reveal in the book of Revelation. All other testimonies, while I will not deny that it is possible for a person to be able to do this, just don't buy it. (laughs) But I trust the word of God and what God has revealed through his his servants such as Paul and John. So I do know that it is possible plausible that it is possible but these modern accounts don't line up the same way and so i i do often question them he says in verse number two i know a man in christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven now whether in the body or out of the body i do not know god knows He says, And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. So at the first point, you see that he was caught up into third heaven. Well, the third heaven at this point is defined as paradise. He was caught up into paradise. Rather in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Now, very important, the connection between the third heaven and paradise, of course, is understanding that when Jesus passed on the cross and with the thief that was to his left-hand side, Jesus would say to him, This day shall you be in paradise with me. So we understand the position of paradise also to be recognized in, in the, uh, the story that Jesus told about Lazarus's time in that place that is known as paradise, but also that would be discovered to be Abraham's bosom. They are one and the same. That place was at a gulf fixed between them and hell, and that the people in hell could see the comforts of the people that were in this place called Abraham's bosom, or as it was recognized as paradise. And even though they weren't able to go into the presence of the Father at that point in time, for Jesus had not died yet, so the Lamb of God had not been slain yet, so that, there, that his blood would be able to pave the way for them to be delivered from this, this place, unto the throne room of God, yet still this was a place that certainly could be considered as a paradise compared to what was across the gulf and the suffering of the torments of the people that were separated from God and in hell. So it's very important to realize that when Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise, 1 Peter chapter number 3 also recognizes that Jesus spent three days in prison and so that there is this, this um, kind of connection to where even though those people had not had the opportunity or availability to be able to go up into the throne room of God, having, having been trapped in that place of Abraham's bosom because of awaiting the Messiah that was promised to come and the blood of the Lamb that would be applied to their account to set them free— Yet they, they could not go to the throne room of God at that point, but they also were separated from the suffering of the torments of the people that would be across that gulf in the position of hell. For everyone in this paradise were believers in Messiah. They were followers of, of the promises that God had made, trusting in the Lord. And that is going to give you your deliverance. That is what's going to provide you with that that ultimate redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. He's calling upon the Lord, believing in the Lord, trusting in his promises, in his word, receiving the hope of the Messiah. And so that we find ourselves in the same position today as believers on the other side of the cross is looking back to the cross, to the hope of the promise of the Messiah who has come and who is coming again. So our faith and trust and hope are in Jesus, our Messiah, and and that we have that same redemption, we have that same forgiveness of sins in Jesus, as those in the Old Testament who were looking toward the cross. They were looking toward the Messiah that was to come, in the same hope, in the same a position of redemption in the same position of forgiveness because of their trust in the Word of God and the Messiah that is to to come and so that when Jesus did come all of those that were in that position of paradise were then raised up and delivered from that place of paradise into the throne room of God and is being recognized that beauty of the first resurrection and thus all of us who have come to faith in Christ Indeed, at our last breath shall be delivered unto the same place of the throne of God where all the others are at present time, only to come to the cloud of the air at the given time of the rapture that that our vessels of the earth shall be caught up into the clouds of the air, our spirits reunited with them, and thus we be able to experience the glory of that throne room of heaven from a, a... uh, five senses perspective, eyes, ears, taste, touch, and, and that that understanding comes with it. So it, it's quite a thrill uh, that, that exists there, and, and the Apostle Paul's talking about this gentleman and making the connection between the third heaven and the, the, the understanding of what paradise is, being with God. And he says, and he heard things that cannot be told, now this is also, by the way, confirmed by the Apostle John. As you recall, in the chapters, that there was a point of time that John was getting ready to write down what he had heard of uh, these seven angels and what they were being told in the conversation. But then uh, God stopped him and said, do not write these things down. So we do understand that there are some mysteries existent with God and Uh, that are withheld to us from the word of God. There are things that are held back and that's exactly the testimony of verse number 4 here in chapter 12. As he said, there are things that this gentleman had heard but that cannot be told which may not be which he may not utter. In other words, it's just things that he cannot say. Now, rather God would remove them from your consideration or thought or that you had reached a position where where you you've got this in your heart but you just can't say anything about it because uh, of the way in which god has has this kind of caught within you so you know what is being said but you can't say anything about it because uh, God isn't allowing you to communicate it. That that would be a pretty tough position. But nevertheless, this is the point of this gentleman at 14 years back that Paul got a chance to be able to talk to, and and that had been there. And he says in verse 5, "...on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness." In other words, this guy's got a story to tell, and so I'm happy to tell you about his life. I'm happy to tell you about his journey. I will boast about him because he's actually experienced something connected to God, connected to heaven. What a thrill it is. He said, but of my own journey, I have nothing to talk about or nothing to boast except for the fact of my weakness. He said, though if if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. In other words, it wouldn't be any problem for me to be able to boast. He said, I would be speaking the truth. Now we're dealing with a situation of Paul's background, Paul's a journey through his growth in the Torah schools, Paul's journey in his Uh, personal training from Gamal, which was, I mean, the the, the foremost authority of of the Pharisees during his period of time in his day. I mean, Paul's got a lot of things that of the flesh, indeed, he could boast about. But none of those things will matter, really, without a faith in Christ, without connection to Jesus. What difference does any of that prominence make? And he says in verse number 6, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would not be speaking, uh, for I would be, by the way, speaking the truth. He said, But I refrain from it, see, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears of me. In other words, I'm not going to build my my character up before I get to you so that when I'm there you're you're so enamored by who I am that it doesn't matter what my message is you're going to believe anything that I tell you. He said I would rather that you made the decision for yourself to consider who I am uh, apart from anything that that I I have built up in my character references, it's kind of like this: when you when you have a guest speaker that comes and, and is going to give a lecture, oftentimes the the bio, biography of that guest speaker is going to be revealed by the MC of the the show. And so they're going to get up and say, well, Mr. So-and-so is coming to us today, or Dr. So-and-so is coming to us today to share with us a lecture about such and such a thing. And, and, and this person is fully qualified to do so for they have spent 15 years in research and development of this particular thing and hold a doctorate of this and a, and a doctorate in that. And they graduated from such and such a school like Harvard, and so they're they're fully understanding of the subject matter at hand they they've invented this they've done that they've traveled abroad they're, they're they're fully capable of of being able to share with us this lecture so i i want you to give a warm applause and a welcome to this person well the mc of that of that event, has just boasted a great deal about this particular person to establish the crowd being set up, essentially, for whatever comes out of this person's mouth is to be believed, to be trusted, and to be followed because they are the absolute authority of subject matter in whatever lecture they're about to give. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying the very exact same thing. He's saying, I am the subject matter expert in this, but I don't want you to be swayed by my letter, by my preaching, because of who I am. I want you to know Jesus, not Paul. I want you to know salvation, not what I think about it. I want you to know the Father in heaven who's capable of forgiving you, I'm not important, and that is the framework by which he's coming in this particular place here in, in chapter 12 and verse number 6. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conce- becoming conceited. Now, understanding that the Apostle Paul is, is probably the foremost subject expert of the Word of God during his period of time in life, that, that he knows the Torah, that, that more than the Torah, he knows, he knows the books of the prophets, he knows the kings, the chronicles, he's aware of the poets, uh, of the Psalms and the Proverbs, he, he knows the Word of God front, back, up, and down, left and right. You name it, he he could he could tell you book, chapter, verse. Just ask him; he could give you any information that you ever wanted to know. He understands very well the Talmud. He knows the Midrash and the teachings. He is completely familiar with with the 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 Haftarah. He, he, I mean, this guy is is the the guy when it comes to knowing anything about what what the rabbis have taught as concerning the talmud he's the guy the go-to guy for anything that you would find uh, about subject matter concerning the scriptures themselves i mean if anybody could boast it's the apostle paul but he's got an issue he's he's got this this messenger of satan now, it's interesting to think that there there are several different beliefs about what, what Paul is talking about in this particular situation. Uh, I am uh, personally of the belief that this messenger of Satan is a physical malady. Rather, it is uh, a position of blindness, as it was. Some people think that. Or rather, it was an issue such as arthritis that would grip his joints and cause him to have such a difficulty with with being able to move, like a rheumatoid type of arthritis. Rather, it was another kind of difficulty or ailment from the multitudes of severe beatings. Now, you got to keep in mind that the Apostle Paul has gone through several uh, severe beatings that, in fact, very easily could have taken his life. He got a beat down in... In Berea, he got a beat down in a couple of other places where people laid in wait for him to come by, and, and then they just jumped him, and it took the Roman guards to be able to get him out and to safety. So, needless to say, it's most likely that he's had several broken bones, broken ribs from the assaults that have taken place. One time, at least once, I remember, he got stoned, and they thought that they had killed him when they, in fact, hadn't. But you can imagine the impact on the flesh. And So, uh, needless to say, as far as physical maladies, there's a strong possibility that the Apostle Paul's gone through it. But there are some who believe that this messenger of Satan happens to be uh, people like what was called Judaizers. And what these people did was is that they would go in to infiltrate the churches that would be established by the Apostle Paul and that they would try to Judaize them. In other words, that they would try to cause the people who were Gentiles that were becoming members of the church to have to go through Jewish practice in order to fully become a member of Christ's body. In other words, they were... were, uh, Impressing upon them the need for circumcision, they were impressing upon them the need for mitzvah, they were impressing upon them the need for all of these different uh, elements of of Orthodox Jewish worship that that were to be put upon them, and that it would require a a council meeting that would happen down at the church that was established in Jerusalem. Uh, back in Acts chapter 15 for the purpose of the Gentiles being recognized as fully a part of the body of Christ while being in their identity Gentile, separate from the Jews is not being required to have to be circumcised and not being required to have to do all of these other requirements that would be upon the Orthodox Jews. So, it's very important to to catch the point. It doesn't matter if it's dealing with a person or persons who are following Paul around and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, like he said at the churches of Galatia, that they were so soon removed from the gospel of Christ unto another gospel, which was not another, but that there were some who came into the bodies and, and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Well as it's fully possible that this messenger of Satan could be that, or, as I personally believe, that this messenger of Satan was the maladies that he would receive by the satanic outburst that would cause him to rather be stoned at one point of time or beaten almost to death several times. In either case, uh, this thorn that was given to him in the flesh was was for the purpose of keeping him from the position of of boasting upon himself it was to re, really be a position of remembrance that indeed within the the confines of his flesh that he truly is weak and so he he says about this in verse number 7 that this was a position to keep him from from becoming conceited because he knows a lot. And there's no question about it. I mean, it doesn't matter what letter you study from or what letter you read. The Apostle Paul, rather Colossians or Ephesians or Galatians or Corinthians or Romans or, or Thessalonians or... or, or, or Anything else, even the, the the short letters like Philemon and and the possibility of the writings that he would have, rather him or Luke, but often they were together in their ideas and points of the book of Hebrews. Either, either way, much of the New Testament is influenced by Paul because of the great amount of wisdom that he have, in which case he could have easily boasted, if he had so chosen to do, But he was always constantly reminded of this issue of his flesh. And so that's a pretty exciting position to to understand today is that it is not us. There's a bumper sticker that's out there that that simply says, Not I, but Christ. And of course, this comes from the position of the letter uh, from Paul that would say that, that it is I who no longer lives, but Christ that lives in me to do and to will. So we understand the position of not I, but Christ. But oftentimes that position comes because of a thorn that is given unto us to humble us in the estate that we're in. And and he talks about that. And in fact, in verse number eight, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this concerning the thorn that was given to him in the flesh." He says three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. I, mean, I just don't want it. I want want to be set free from it because you can understand maladies of the flesh. They're uncomfortable. They're a regular source of of pain. They're a regular source of of misery. And so it's it's you, you just don't want to have to deal with this. You don't want you don't want this happening in your life. And so you. You struggle with the idea of it without question, but then God comes along and God has something to say to you about it. And what does God have to say to us but that which is found in verse number 9? And this is something that is very familiar to us, something that that many of us have had to face or many of us have quoted at points of time in our our lives. But that verse 9 would say, But God said to me, as in, but he said to me, and that's God, the conversation that you're having is the Apostle Paul is praying unto the Lord that he remove this thorn in the flesh. But God says, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> in other words, ain't gonna happen, cupcake. You've got this issue, and this issue's going to be with you for the rest of your natural life. Because my, my grace... In other words, the fact that you're still breathing is the very reality of of how I'm going to carry you. Yes, you are afflicted with this pain, but this pain is nothing in comparison to to the work that I've given you to do. So you're going to learn to live with this and to utilize this as a position of praise in my name instead of suffering uh, in the flesh. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And the fact that you are weak is the very reason of how I'm going to show the world that I'm strong. Everybody knows that Paul is suffering through this issue of his flesh. Everybody knows that Paul is, is, is having a hard time and going through a struggle. And and often people are impressed to be able to see Paul up and walking around, to be able to see him come in and preach. That one issue when Paul had gone forth preaching and he and he went in in the book of Acts all the way to midnight, and then had to heal a kid that fell out the window and broke his neck. So you know in the weakness that you find that Paul has there's a great amount of ability and power that God works through him and often you're going to find the people being astounded and and, and amazed at at Paul's ability why because God's power is reflected by or not reflected as it was but made perfect in the weakness of Paul's vessel. So God's going to demonstrate his power through that weakness, and and he did. So Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Now, a very important point to make here is that all of the things that we go through in our lives are things that that didn't take God by surprise. All of the hardships as revealed, or the insults we receive, or the persecutions that we go through, the calamities, the troubles that come upon our our homes, our families, our cars, our jobs, and everything else, the weaknesses of illnesses that we have to go through, all of these things can bring us to one of two positions, just as they could bring the Apostle Paul. The first position is one of bitterness being upset that we can't do things that we once could do, being upset that we're not able to get out and about, that we've been quarantined because of illnesses that we have, being, being furious over the insults we've received and wanting to get into fights with people who are nasty towards us, or we, we spit out insults back instead of being calm about the matter because we're bitter about these things. Uh, upset of the hardships and not understanding why God wouldn't see us through because, uh, you know, having to go through these hardships, we don't like the idea of having to face hardships. We don't like the fact we have to go through these things. And so why God? If there was a loving God, why is there death and suffering? Why is there sickness? Why, Why did my parents have to go through what they had to go through? Why did I lose my job? It's just a position of bitterness because of the hardships that we face in life. And that is one of the particular directions that we can go in. The the, the persecutions that we may have to face are the calamities. Indeed, in all of these things, you can see how easy it would be uh, due to the nature of our flesh to be uh, disappointed, to be discouraged, and to be embittered by these things. But that's not walking with God. That's walking in the nature of the course of our flesh. Of course the the antithesis to this which is the other the other side of the two that I was talking about is is to be comforted in the Lord and so instead of being bitter you can look to the the point of rejoicing in the fact that in our weakness we're still able to be of service to our king and in fact through those illnesses and through the the aging process and all of these other things that would generate weaknesses within us, that it does not leave us helpless to be able to serve the Lord, but even at the position of being able to pray for others, we are powerful for, for God. And so that we can be encouraged instead of embittered by this weaknesses, is understanding that we can serve God no matter the state of this flesh or the condition of it either of the insults that we have that that would bring our hearts to a position of brokenness unto prayer for the people, as Jesus would say, forgive them, Father, for they don't understand what they're doing. And, And the reality of the receiving of the insults is understanding that the people are cursing that which they don't understand. They're they're, they're spouting off wickedness and being evil about those things that they don't comprehend. And so you understand how easy this could bring you to a position of bitterness, but you also know that these people are, are, are doing and saying those things which they really just don't know what they're doing. And so that it brings you to a position of prayer on their behalf so that you may be able to ask the Lord to to be with them instead of becoming bitter against them. You see that position of hardships, and of course we've all faced hardships. We all go through hardships in our life, uh, as well as certain levels of persecution of people that just despise the idea that we are believers in Jesus as they've discovered that we are of believers that we go to church and they do their dead level best to be able to cause us to fall. They they, they tried to trip us up. They tried to invite us to wicked things. They tried to give us wicked things. They tried to encourage us in the wickedness of things. And and they do whatever they can to mock us and, and, and bring us into hardships and drive us through persecutions uh, to become bitter, to become hard, to become just like them but the idea of rejoicing in Jesus that when we face these things that we can, we can rest in the arms of Jesus knowing that he too also faced these things and that he is capable of giving us strength to endure them for the time and to deliver us from them in an ultimate fashion. And so instead of becoming bitter by these hardships, these persecutions, and these calamities, we can indeed be encouraged through them as keeping our faith strong in connection to Jesus. is recognizing that, that when we find ourselves at our weakest points, that that is when we can actually reverse to the strength that we can receive through Jesus by prayer and by study and by the Word of God. So, Very encouraging beginning to this particular letter is recognizing that though many of us would have some reason to be able to boast, we recognize that it's in the weaknesses that we have our greatest strengths. And that indeed our greatest strengths can become our weaknesses because of the conceit that they can build up within us. And so that we would rely upon our weaknesses to be able to boast, if ever to boast upon that it would be the Lord that would be working through us, in us, and with us that we would be able to tell everyone about instead of our own uh, victories, our own abilities, and things of that nature. So, coming down to verse number 11, Paul makes makes a little bit of a confession here uh, and and kind of drags the church at Corinth under the bus. So in verse number 11, he says, I have been a fool. (laughs) He said, You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. He says, For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. He said, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost of patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what, what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? For in what way, in other words, were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. In other words, the Apostle Paul was saying, I should have burdened you. I I should have collected from you. I I should have caused you to to engage in the labors and the works that the other churches were, were brought into. But there and again, the church at Corinth was a, was a place that was uh, pampered, as it was, it's being revealed by the words of Paul. And he said, that was my bad. He said, that I was wrong. He said, forgive me in this. I should I should have put a heavier hand to you. I should have given more discipline to you or dealt with you in a, in a much stronger way. And he says in verse 14, he says, Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you, he says, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, I am to be loved less. Oh, that's interesting in in its point. He said, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and, and got the better of you by deceit. He says, Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? He says, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? He says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. He said, For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder all such things that would easily destroy the church. For those are not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruits of the flesh. None of those things are for the edifying or building up of the body, but are of the destruction of that body, tearing it apart from the factions that would would arise from the different opinions of the people. Justice was revealed in the first letter of the Corinthian church in chapter number 2, uh, or at the end of chapter number one, I should say, where he said, where are these divisions happening from among you that some of you would say you were baptized unto me and some of you were baptized unto Apollos and and unto somebody else. He said, what is that? Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Who are these other people? Our purpose, no matter who we are that come into your body, is to point you to Christ and to keep you unified in the, in the person of Jesus. But you're separating yourselves because of the the nature of the people that are coming to you instead of the Christ to whom they proclaim and he, he's he's telling them he says you're you're destroying yourselves and you're not going to be the way that I would expect you to be as a church when I show up and certainly I'm not going to be what you expected of me to be as being an apostle because you've been lied to, so you're going to fall apart and not be the the church that I remember or that I that I began in the Lord. You're not going to be anything that I was expecting, and I am going to be totally different from anything you could possibly ever expect to receive because you've had so many false apostles that have that have come in unto you and have guided you unto a false teaching and a false ways. You. I'm not going to be what you wished for. You certainly aren't going to be what I wished for. And the reason why is because of all of the fighting, all of the jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder that's existent among you. He says, I fear at the end of the chapter in verse 21 here, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over you many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. He said, I I don't want this to happen, but I'm afraid it's going to happen when I get there, is that ultimately the church at Corinth is going to be destroyed. That it's going to have to close. Because all of this impurity, all of this sexual immorality, all of this sensuality that's being practiced is destroyed. It's eliminated... The, the very principle behind why the church existed. It's eliminated everything that, that was meant to be. It's just completely destroyed it. And it's just going to have to close. It's not worth being together anymore. Certainly not what the Apostle Paul would wish for. But the people aren't willing to receive of the Apostle Paul. And indeed think that, that Paul had sent in uh, uh, dissenters as it was through titus and and that beloved brother that, to cause them to be deceived or trip them up and, and and they're being told this by those false apostles they're being told this and i've had the same thing happen to me as concerning being in a church is that other people would say oh about that pastor jesus oh that guy you get that guy he's horrible and and this is coming from a perspective of a people that have never worked with me that know nothing about me but they, they spout off their 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 information of inside resources that they've received and and th- create such division and dissension wherever you go and the same thing's happening here with the church of Corinth it's dealing with the apostle Paul And yet, of course, from hindsight, from our perspective of the future, we know that the Lord had used Paul in a mighty way to bring forth multiple letters that would compile almost the whole of our New Testament. But during the time of his life as being recognized as an apostle, he, he has to constantly go under the scrutiny of a bunch of people who are trying to say that he wasn't. And that's just hard to bear. But praise the Lord that, that He is able to deliver us. I thank God for the revelation of that third heaven, of the recognition of the person who had gone there, the, the connection of the Word of God in dealing with the Apostle John, who we also know had gone there. The reality of those mysteries that exist in the realm of of the throne room of God are recognized as that paradise that, that uh, are things that even though a person has gone there and come back, they're not able to bring back with them. They're not able to to say, uh, so that we are left to certain mysteries, so that our faith would be b- built upon hope, and that our hope would be in in that future time of the coming of Jesus and of those promises of that that mansion in the Father's house and the whole nine yards. So what a joy it is to be able to have that knowledge concerning that third heaven is recognized throne room of god the place where god dwells aside from our universe and the expanse of the space above us as well as the sky on our planet so and that we would find that the ultimate truth that we would face here is that god's grace is without question sufficient for us no matter what we're going through no matter what we're experiencing no matter what calamities or what uh, ma- maladies or what infirmities or, 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 or what persecutions or, or, or anything else, gossips, you name it, that are going on about us, that, that God's grace is sufficient for us and that He will lift us up in those times where we're lowest. He will give us strength in those times where we're weakest because He is the one who is in control and in charge. Well, praise the Lord. Can't ask for better today. Father, we are thankful, asking your blessing be upon us as we conclude this chapter, facing the, the hope of the 13th and final chapter of this book is to be received on Thursday so that we may be able to look into the Word of God and a taste of wisdom you would have for us tomorrow. And in the book of Proverbs, we'll thank you and ask that blessing be upon us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, guys, may God bless you richly, keep you, and cause His face to shine upon you. And I shall catch you again tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesday. And then we'll catch up to 2 Corinthians and finish off this book in in chapter 13 on Thursday. Till then, God bless. We'll see you soon.